beyond that, it's about creating a company and like setting values for your organization right. and then aligning the organization with those values. Welcome to the new Nomad podcast, hosted by Alan and Andrew of Insured Nomads. Join us as Alan and Andrew interview and explore the community of people and ideas that embody the nomadic spirit. Tune in to incredible discussions with thought leaders each week that will help you take full advantage of the cross-border remote work lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to the new Nomad Podcast. We have a really interesting discussion today. We have Joe Benvart of the Remote.com team, co-founder, CEO. It's really an exciting conversation today. But before we start that, I'd like to bring Andrew Jernigan in the conversation. And Andrew, one of the things that's become a big issue recently is the fine line between Big Brother assisting or lording over perhaps the remote worker. And the example I got is a lot of the remote workers we work with really want to have geopositioning positioning tools on their phone in case they get into trouble, need assistance. I know we have a panic button that we have on our programs, but on the other hand, they don't want somebody checking each keystroke. You know, it's kind of back and forth. I know you've been hearing a lot on that that area too. Are you hearing the same things? Yes. And it's it's not just the, you know, when I think of it, having worked remotely around the world for many years, I mean, well, decades, it's one of those things where it comes to trust of the manager, the leadership of a company is as many times it's, they're not used to having employees that aren't reporting to a desk and a supervisor and a manager. And and it's just the, the shift of culture that people are having to face. And they're having to look at their own weaknesses and change that. And that doesn't come easily. But the temptation is, is to implement software that says, okay, everyone must be watched. And like you referenced, the duty of care aspect, you know, implement something that people can check in. So you make sure they're safe so that if there is a cyclone or something, they can hit a check-in button, but it needs to be an easy turn on and off on privacy on that. So that it's not a thing of, oh, can HR monitor where they are today if they're actually in the city they're, they say they are. There need to be parameters. But the ultimate thing when I hear that, Alan, is just building a culture of honor. I mean, that's a to many, that's a strange word. I read a book on titled Culture of Honor years ago that because we stab the ones that are closest to us a lot of times rather than pulling them up and finding the gold in them, pulling the gold out. And I know just some of those phrases can seem foreign to others. I look forward to our guest today because he is a pioneer in this area. I just, I love what he writes and speaks about creating a culture of kindness. He is one who does pull the gold out of people. Alan, who do we have here today? And what do we have going on? This is the new nomad, the remote worker, formerly, you know, the the immigrant, the expat, all these people that are listening from different flavors of life. I think they're going to love what's happening in today's show. Well, let's bring Yobi into the conversation because one of the things I'll mention, Yobi, come on into the conversation. And and I thought was really interesting. I mean, I I know we kind of started with a deep issue, but I think you probably would agree that if you can't trust the people you're hiring, you know, having keystroke protection, you you probably already made a mistake if you feel that you have to do that. But I love what you talked about building bonds and culture. And as you built remote.com, certainly you've built a culture there. Could you share with our audience some of your perspectives on what we've been talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I think it it really starts with building a team that you can trust. And in a lot of ways, trust is something that you build. But exactly as was mentioned, like you don't, you can't really start building trust by starting to, you know, record keystrokes and like observe people, spy on people, I think is an appropriate term. Um, So at Remote, of course, we didn't do any of those things. The way that we build a strong culture was by working together and setting clear goals and being very transparent with each other, right? Like I think there's two fundamental aspects that you need to 
do if you want to build a strong company culture, irrespective of whether it's remote or not. And one of them is, you know, you collaborate. So you work together intensely, you have shared goals and you do so, you know, uh, not transactionally, but like you actually collaborate and you are transparent with each other and you, you know, you, you gain energy from each other by, you know, truly collaborating. And the other aspect is, you know, spending time together out of the context of work. That time together can be in almost any form. I think nowadays, especially because of COVID, we had to do a lot of that remotely and it's totally possible, you know, whatever way you can play games together, you can just hang out and have coffee chats with people. You can even do things AC synchronously it doesn't really matter but the point is that you also spend some time together uh, out of like direct context of something that you're working on and if you do those two things you create at least a foundation upon which then you can build trust beyond that it's about creating a company and like setting values for your organization and then aligning the organization with those values and that means that one it has to come directly from leadership it has to come from the ceo from the founders from the executive team and the company really has to be led by example and led by these values. And so, for example, at Remote, our values are kindness, ownership, excellence, transparency, and ambition. And we continuously refer back to these. So whatever we do, we always refer back to them. And uh, kindness is the first one. And it's explicitly so the first one, because I think we're all tired of working with people that are unkind. I think we've (laughs) all worked with them in our lives. And so we don't want to have that. Like we want that work is a place where, you know, it's not always fun because the reality is work can be stressful. There can be angry customers, things can go wrong. It's not always fun, but if you're kind to each other, at least that doesn't add additional tension and it makes it at least pleasant to be at work if it is not also fun, which it, it still should be most of the time. So that, I think that is a good foundation for a strong company culture. And then subsequent to, you know, starting that and setting those values, it's all about, you know, how do you maintain that and how do you make sure that people actually live up to those values? Well, you know, it's funny when you could see people having fun working together as a client, you want to gravitate there. I don't know if you remember the old Southwest Airlines. Flying was kind of a grim experience and they made it fun. They gave their people some parameters to be themselves, et cetera. And I think that you touched upon something there. There was a study recently that if you have a really good friend at work, you're liable to stay in that job and do a much better job at it. And and I like what, what you mentioned there. I think you even said something along the lines of that the future of work is more freedom. And if work doesn't seem like work, that's fun too, right? Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. I think when, when talking about that, I think there's two parts to this, right? One is that like the way that we are working is transitioning to more freedom. So we, we, we come from a place where you have to work from a specific location and you have to make specific hours. And I think slowly, but very confidently, that model is completely being dropped, right? Both by necessity because of remote work, but also by the demands from the global workforce. Like you, you shouldn't need to work particular hours because there's no reason to. It's all about the actual output that you have. And so I think that gives a lot of freedom. And then the other side of it is that that is ultimately what work should provide. Like it should provide you with money and benefits and support and security that allows you to take up further freedoms, right? Freedoms in terms of where you want to live, but also in how you want to live, right? Like I always like to, this is an often repeated sentence, but like work should really be a facet of life and life should not be a facet of work. And I think that's only possible if you are not constantly stressing about the everything else and you're not also constantly stressing about work. So if you get paid well, that takes a lot of stressors out of life, right? It's very hard to overstate the importance of just 
having a job that pays well and it doesn't require you to work insane hours. Those two things will also make the rest of your life much easier. And that is essentially what freedom is, right? It means that you don't have to worry about things that you shouldn't need to worry about, right? Like you should be able to easily feed yourself and your family. You shouldn't have to work or worry about medical bills. And that great work and great employers can go a long way in solving that. Yeah, something you just said cued me to the, the fact that the, so much attention went to companies, oh, five seven years ago when they started implementing an unlimited time off policy. And it came under a lot of criticism. It came under a lot of accolades of well done also, but that's, there's that freedom aspect of, and trust It's Hey, if you're doing a great job, we're not watching. If you need to take every Thursday off, if you need to take every, you know, if you're working three weeks out of the month, you know, and but yet that's the trust factor and realizing that people are going to give their best and they're going to, to do it. That work life balance, which I almost don't even like that. that <laughs> Comparison because there's something off there with that of work-life balance. It implies uh, the dichotomy that, that, that shouldn't be there. Yeah, right. I say that with a conflicting thing since you know I even I poured myself way too much into one role a year seven years ago and ended up with a heart attack and that was my fault, not the work fault, not honoring time zones and my body didn't agree with that. It's that trust factor when it comes to time off, when it comes to time on, when it comes to which hours to work during the day and how many you know the four four hours you know the four hour work, four day work week, etc. It's just so many factors in that. So this is, it's really good. So a lot of these things that we're bringing to mind, because a lot of people are adjusting to hybrid, they're hungry for remote, they're hungry for change, because they've gotten a taste of it now and wondering, okay, can I switch companies so that I can so that I can move from one province to another or one state or country? Can I pursue some dreams rather than be chained to a desk? And companies are looking at it, okay, if we're going to allow it, what tools are there to actually do it from an HR perspective, compliance, from benefit, from all legal, et cetera. It's just, there's so many aspects that everyone who's listening have different ears to hear what needs to be applied in this season. Yeah, there are a few things on the horizon within your world, I know, and Alan and I were talking about that recently. Alan, what what struck you when you looked at some of the things that- Yeah, that... yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to ask about, you know, I mean, one of the things I think is interesting is we get a lot of people that say to themselves, I see remote.com has the first global employee API. First off, to the uninitiated, can you explain to folks what an API is and how that supports people? And, and a lot of us know it's the some of the HR and the technology and the tax, et cetera, but I think it's really interesting because we have remote workers going out there. They're saying that they need to do, they need some payroll help and tax, et cetera. So I don't want to steal your thunder, but could you answer for the uninitiated, what is the first global employee API? So the core service that we deliver at remote is the ability to hire anybody from anywhere. And up until now, companies that did this kind of work, it was a pure services thing. You would email or sometimes fax someone, this is an employee I want to hire. And it would be a lot of emailing, calling and and faxing back and forth. And uh, we made it very easy by just building an application so that you could just sign up online, etc. And we wanted to go one step further and we wanted to completely eliminate the need to necessarily use our platform. And so what an API is, is just an interface with which other companies, other applications can work. And so that means that if you have an application, an HR, something in HR, for example, or even just within your own organization, rather than having to have 
people sign up on remote.com or uh, having to go to our website or use our platform, you can directly integrate with us. And that is what an API is. And so that really means that we're lowering the threshold for organizations to start working with us and to really employ people globally immensely because there's no longer the question, should we then use another platform and then feel comfortable with that? Or maybe even if you're already used, so we're partnering Rippling to, to start with this. And that means that if you're a Rippling customer, very soon you'll be able to hire people internationally that's powered by remote, but you will never have to go to our platform. You don't have to sign up again. Nobody has to go through something else. It's all in the same interface that you were already using. And that's because of this API that we built and Rippling directly integrates with that. Okay, I get it. It's a, like saying embedded in our world, embedded insurance so that, you know, when you're going through a airline ticket process, you can go ahead and add insurance. Yeah. Or, or going through a other instances through our API, we, we do something very similar. So yeah, that makes sense. Now, for those who are listening, it could be, you know, the CPAs out there, the accountants, those that this is going to be applied in finance around the world. I know with your Rippling partnership, that's one of the most recent, but this is going to ricochet to go throughout so many different payroll programs around the world because they see the need as companies go remote, they find labor outside their local talent pools. I believe that this is the way that they're going to be able to function beyond their borders currently, whether they're a South African company, HR firm, you know, processing payroll for companies, you name it. This is going to transform finance, actually, not just HR. That is definitely our hope. I think a good way to think about it is like uh, payment processors, right? You have a, a Stripe, for example, that if you buy something in, in an online shop, then it's Stripe that processes your payment. Now, we do something similar, but then with global employment and payroll. And of course, that there's a lot to that and it's very, very complex. Uh, that's why it's the, the world's first API like this because it is very hard to build. So quick question on that. So, you know, in the international space, we hear a lot of folks going overseas and having to go work through a partner in the employee of record space. Is this tied into the employee of record space or is this an employee of record type of offering? And and maybe for our audience, when employee record, you know, in the US, a lot of times the term is PEO, professional employer organization, et cetera. But it's when somebody goes overseas, they functionally get hired by a firm so you can get some tax technology, et cetera. It sounds like what you're doing here is something even better than that, a little more flexible. Am I correct in my, if I'm incorrect, that's also fine too. Straighten me out. So remote is an employer of record. So we offer, among other things, employer record services, and we do that directly. So we have our own entities in all the countries in which we're active, uh, which by the end of next year is going to be all countries in the world. And so we build this API on top of our own services. So we run our own services internally. We build software to power that. And this API is just another way to access those. So exactly that. Yeah. So you can, through this API and through one of our integration partners, directly employ someone in, let's say, Portugal, for example. And their text forms will indeed then say remote Portugal. Okay. So go back with us a little bit. I think you even, you're a global citizen. You've lived around the world. And yeah. and before this, were you with a, a company where you were working remotely and they, they had this need? Is that, why did you build this? Yeah, before I started remote, I was at GitLab since its founding team, where we hired people in 67 different countries. And so we encountered this problem very directly. And what we found was that it's not really a great experience for anybody involved, for us as an employer, nor for the employees themselves. What we found is that even if you work with global employment of record companies, they tend to work with third parties locally. And it means that there's a lot of communication happening over very little work. So it's very slow to work with them. It's very opaque to work with these kind of organizations. Getting more companies are going to 
work remotely, I started remote specifically to solve this problem and, and, and specifically to remove all these barriers and all these phone lines, as it were, between different parties that were trying to communicate with each other. And that's really how remote is built. So we built the infrastructure. And on top of that infrastructure, we provide services that either you can integrate with or you can directly uh, purchase with us. This adds so much flexibility to the remote workspace. We've been getting a lot of questions about the digital nomad visas and some of the opportunities. And we also see governments, a lot of different governments, you know, trying to work on that space and make it easier for people to live for a year or two. That seems to be one of the outgrowths of COVID, you know, trying to get people there. Maybe you could comment quickly, you know, in the last year, COVID has changed a lot in the remote space. Would love your comments of what you see in the near future as we come out of that and maybe even the digital nomad visa space too. Yeah, I think that there's a few interesting things happening. I think the first one is that the massive move to remote work. And, and we're only seeing this accelerate, especially now that like essentially the whole world knows you can work remotely. And so it's not so much whether employers decide whether you can work remotely. It's more on the individuals that say, well, I don't want to work from an office or I don't want to work from office in this particular location. And if you can't accommodate to the office in a place where I want to work, then I'm going to leave. And so that is something that we see accelerating. And so with that same move, we see a lot of people starting to move, move abroad, move to countries where they they might not have citizenship or where wherever else. And so visa and immigration is becoming a very big thing. And these digital nomad visas play somewhat of a part in that, right? Being a digital nomad is actually quite complicated in the sense of like paying taxes and doing this compliantly, both for the individual as well as for the employer. And so moves made by governments to make this simpler, extremely welcome. I think the, what we see right now is there's about 35 countries that have digital nomad visas ready. I think that's really awesome. I do think it needs to be much larger than it is today, right? I think in particular, Western, well-off countries, they do kind of poorly in this aspect. And I think they don't really have a strong incentive to attract people to directly start working there as a, as a digital nomad. They would much rather have people stay there longer periods of time or forever or completely relocate there. And I would love to see much more movement on that. And I, I kind of expect that more of that is going to happen in the future, although governments move very, very slowly. And that's essentially what we've seen, right? Like if you think about like the kind of things that would we're looking at it remote for in, in terms of compliance, like how do you hire someone? Not much has really changed. It's mostly the same over the past year. Well, you know, we've, we've come to the point where this is a question we ask everyone that comes on the show, and we'd love to hear your response to this. There's so many types of people that listen. And <laughs> you know, from your background, from your experiences around the world, what is the one overlooked person, place, experience, quite broad, that you say that people should know about? So... I don't think it necessarily overlooked or unknown, but I would still strongly recommend it because it still has the same properties, even though it has gained significantly in popularity, which is Portugal, the country. I've lived there for the past five years. We just moved to the Netherlands. Portugal still has almost all of the things you could possibly want from like a country to permanently live in or spend long periods of time. It's almost always good weather. The people there are friendly and tend to be able to speak English. And outside of Lisbon, it's incredibly affordable. And even Lisbon is, is quite affordable. So you have good weather, you have great people, it's affordable, the food is great, the culture is beautiful, they have amazing beaches. And if you want to work there, there's a reasonable startup ecosystem there. The, um, uh, what is this big startup conference uh, happens there now every year, uh, the Web Summit. Uh, and beyond that, the internet is cheap and fast. So I had as fast internet uh, in Portugal as I have here in the Netherlands. It, it's a really great country and it's, it really has everything. And so especially if you start to look outside of Lisbon, most people travel to Lisbon. But if, if you start to look outside of Lisbon, 
you basically get it all. Like it's almost too good to be true. So yeah, Portugal, I would say. You know, ex- by the way, excellent answer because I've been to the Algarve, been to the end of the earth where Henry the Navigator sent the ships off thinking that they might fall off that flat <laughs> earth and drank a fair amount of port while I was there. Excellent answer on that. So as we tie together, could you share some places where people can catch up with you and, and learn a little bit more about remote.com? I think that you're on to something that's really unique and important for folks out there yeah. in the remote work environment. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, the answer is going to be remote.com. That's that's really the best place to go. You can find me as well. I'm, I'm an active tweeter at, on Twitter. So it's J-O-B-V-O is my uh, Twitter username. But yeah, if you go to remote.com, you'll find uh, me and everything about the whole company. I like that. That's very simple. That's customer focused. That's important. That's that's great. So, you no, know, thank you for joining us today. Not only a great conversation, but a lot of smiles here as we're, we're talking about the future. So, so Andrew, as we tie things together today, we, we always come back to what did we learn today? What did you learn today? And then I'll pick up once again, I already learned that he's got good taste in Portugal and other things. So we're halfway home there. How about yourself? Motivation to go to Portugal. I'm fluent in Portuguese. Just, you know, my, my partner, my wife is Brazilian. So been on my to-do list. I've you know spent my time in everywhere else in Europe, but not Portugal yet. But no, my biggest takeaway from this today is living those values out. The heart, the integrity that I heard that was expressed just lit a fire in me that I believe is contagious to everyone that's listening today to say, yes, let's live out, treat those in our sphere of influence with that kind of passion. So, uh, Andrew, I just want to tell you in this time of COVID, the word contagious is something that we try to leave out of most conversations, but we, no, COVID is passive. we, we know your heart is in the right place. And I uh, really, really great conversation today. I recommend the folks to look into remote.com. Just want to remind everyone, the new Nomad's not just a podcast. It's a community of people, ideas, and spirit taking advantage of that location, independent lifestyle. We hope your travel are safe and please stay in touch. It's been a great conversation today. Stay well and we look forward to the next podcast and talking to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the new Nomad Podcast where we bring together an incredible community of people and ideas that embody the nomadic spirit. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review. For more amazing tips to help you take advantage of the cross-border lifestyle, please visit us at insurednomads.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.